Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and a Saturday recording of the Weekend Sports Cars brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and my British brother, the man who makes DailySportsCar.com just sing, the man who brings words and thoughts to microphones, WEC races, European Le Mans series, Asian Le Mans series, if it has the word series at the end of it, you've probably heard Graham Goodwin's voice, maybe seen his face. He has burrowed into my heart, hopefully yours as well. How are you this fine Saturday evening in the UK? It is indeed Saturday evening and um, and uh, happily equipped uh, with much better equipment. I'm hoping this is going to be a big step forward in terms of the quality you're getting from here in the UK. Not in terms of the content, but at least in terms of the quality of the sound. Good afternoon, good evening, uh, wherever you are in the world. Uh, it's a freezing cold, drizzly evening here. It's well into the darkness at, uh, what, 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. on Saturday evening. After what, Marshall has been, you know, for good and for very bad reasons, a very busy week in the world of motorsports. Yeah, sad yet again, loss of 1985 overall winner, of what we call today the Rolex 24 at Daytona, four-time Indianapolis 500 winner as well, participated in the 91 Rolex 24 with an all-Unser family lineup, that being Al Unser, unfortunately lost Al uh, late Thursday. Been a brutal year in that regards. Graham, across name all forms of motor racing, uh, we've just been saying farewell to far too many people this year yeah um brutal in that regard had some announcements this week maybe more some we would classify as positive some we would classify as why did you bother to put that out that was truly uh i there was news disseminated by our friends at acura love our friends at acura uh my uh suggested headline keeping in mind that I don't write the headlines. I just, again, uh, send in a story. The headline is often just a short encapsulation of what the story's about. Sometimes it's a little bit cheeky. I know it'll never get used. I believe what I fired in uh, had a subject in the email of IMSA. Acura tells us things we already knew. Uh, so we know which partner teams are going to work with. In uh, Once we get to LMDH in 2023, same ones they're working with now. One little nugget there, maybe we could have predicted this, who knows, but we know that the successor to the current Acura ARX05 DPI Graham will be the... Go on, go on. ARX06. So there you go. Um, well, yeah. I think it's my MP. We, when we had we had the, um, the worst kept secret in sports car racing, that was Cadillac. This wasn't so much a worst kept secret as it, it wasn't really a secret. Um, so we now have confirmation that it will be Orica as their chassis partner for the Acura program. And indeed, Wayne Teller Racing, Nile Shank Racing will continue uh, through 2023 and one would guess beyond with that. Um, the bit we, we don't yet know is what, what way forward for those teams if they wish to come to the Le Mans 24 hours in 2023. And it remains to be seen just exactly how that's going to be Viewed by the ACO, it's going to be a packed grid for the 2023 uh, Le Mans 24 Hours. And, and on that grid, 
Um, well, at some point, maybe it will be their Le Mans debut. Maybe we'll see them in 2022. A car that we have seen shaking down for the very first time today is the Peugeot 9X8 and a comically um, altered image of a shakedown run, which uh, seeks to disguise at least part of the rear of the car. You Not the only to- comical image of a shakedown run from this <laughs> week, Graham, but we'll leave that uh, PR tragedy alone uh, from a house of PR tragedy. Um, I do feel... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I do feel compelled to use what is a new favorite sentence, and this is something that only Graham and I get, so I apologize. But uh, I am going to use the sentence, I realize this isn't exactly how the media game works. <laughs> I'll be using that so many times in the future. And again, it's an inside joke to just like two or three, well, actually four or five people now. But well, anyways, well, it's, it's an interesting one because Peugeot. It, it, yeah, it does look as if there is some kind of rear aerodynamic device, whether or not that's a full rear There's a wing. wing. On the it's a very low-mounted wing, if that's the case. There's a wing on the Winglets. back of the car, period. Yeah, uh, something on the back of the car. Yeah, so interesting there. Uh, what else can we talk about uh, before we get rocking and rolling with the list assembled by our pal and listener, uh, Daniel Summers Gill? Um, what did we get? We got some Lexus confirmation with JTD Pro Ben Barnacote. Uh, might put in a requisition for a, a name change there because that just doesn't put fear in anybody. Um, ben will Ben the Destroyer possibly. Uh, he will be part of uh, the Vassar Sullivan Lexus GTD yeah. Pro entry himself. Jack Hawksworth and Kyle Kirkwood uh, will be uh staffing that rcfgt3 uh vehicle so we got that going got put out a little story graham trying to give some insight also honestly trying to stem the weekly questions of what's going on in gtd pro so uh put together a little primer there didn't put names on all the teams i think i know just about all the teams with all the cars but uh in that little story but yeah looking surprisingly good for uh rolex 24 entry for gtd pro somewhere maybe in the 12 to 13 range and then full season thinking seven to eight maybe which is better than the three that we saw uh full time in 2021 in gt le mans so there there's stuff happening um yeah and they're also uh i mean imsa doing well at the moment in attracting LMP2 entries, particularly for the endurance races. We, we now know that Racing Team Medland have confirmed they'll be, be coming and doing a, um endurance program uh, in IMSA Weather Tech Sports Car Championship. They'll be uh, leaving the FIWC. We've already heard from High Class Racing. There are more to come, we know. G-Drive Racing with a first effort at the Rolex 24 Hours as well. So, again, some of those names coming. This era of convergence, it, it, it is, I think, it's just offering opportunities for people to look a little bit further afield. In addition to which, MP, I think the uh, a continued reduced calendar for the FIWC, uh, what I've heard from a number of people involved in some of those programs and others, is it's just not ticking their boxes, that they they feel you know they feel ready to go on to new and different adventures, um, so it's going to be interesting how this all pans through twenty two into twenty three, um, and you know when we we hit the era of the LMDH cars coming on stream, including some 
customer cars. Fewer than I think that many of our listeners are probably thinking there might be. There will be a smattering of those, but uh, but not huge numbers. But there's some interesting moves, and in particular for me, uh, and I, by the way, do urge people to look at that piece on Racer. Uh, dot com about the uh, the state of GTD and GTD Pro in particular because it's as good an anal- analysis as we've seen so far anywhere of just exactly how healthy that class is. And I think the answer as a combined class is very healthy indeed. So why don't we get going with the listener questions that have been sent in here? Also, again, noting. Granted, it's morning Saturday here for me in California, but it's also getting towards dinner time for you. As the man who officially selects which categories we work our way through, tell us where we are going first, and if it's where I hope you're going to go, not my series, but yours, uh, I'll, I'll get to say something I've been wanting to say as a little lead-in for that. Uh, well, let's go with WEC as in Mako, the ACO right. Rules Racing area, which, as you quite rightly say, tends to be to new listeners, and we keep getting new listeners for the Weekend Sports Cars uh, podcast, um, tends to be kind of my bailiwick, although you will, I'm sure, wade in as and when there's something more to say. MP, what have you got for me? All right. Well, before I, I load everything into the uh, question cannon and fire <laughs> them across the Atlantic at you, uh Word on the street, Graham Goodwin, editor yes. of DailySportsCar.com. Go visit yes. there if you haven't. Um, word on the street, traffic. Oh, yeah. There, there's no parking. There's nowhere left to park. There's so much traffic. <laughs> it's going so quickly. You, you're just jammed up and packed up. That There's no possibility. Tell folks, brag on yourself a little bit, because this has not come as a result of fluke or cosmic uh interruption this has come from hard work and effort uh additional effort put into dailysportscar.com to indeed let's say reclaim uh the place in terms of traffic ranking and just stature in the industry it's always been there but you've put some extra work in to try and make sure that dsc is back where it belongs not necessarily asking you to down play your rivals no, let's good just God, say no. your rivals uh, are having to stand up and take notice that DSC, if you look at real true accounted traffic, not the made up numbers, 55 trillion downloads and whatever other <laughs> nonsense people are trying to put out there. By the way, yeah. I, I did put out that we uh, so far this year have had 555 trillion downloads. So that was like, last week. That was, yeah. That was okay. Well, I apologize. Yeah. And it, it, funnily enough, in the span of a week, it's moved out to. 1100 million trillion downloads so fantastic um but you've been doing real work it's been having real real effects folks are digging their dsc.com yeah i mean through through the covid pandemic it's been a pretty solitary existence for most people working in the media i know yourself included and that's not easy in terms of motivation we made a, a call uh in lockdown uh, when I had Stephen Kilby still working with me full time at that stage to switch towards uh, feature coverage. And we try still to make sure that feature coverage is a key part of that. But it is fair to say that um, with a couple of honourable exceptions, Stephen, a little bit from Ryan uh, Kish back in the day uh, with uh, RJ O'Connell and the stuff he's doing for us in particular for Japan and with a happy band 
uh, around the world. Michael Zalavari across in Australia, uh, Martin Little in the UK, and uh, Rene, uh, our good friend Matt Fernandez in France, uh, piling in where they can with the major uh, race reporting. Um, that you're absolutely right. That our most readily identified um, rivals in the marketplace. It, it is fair to say that uh, as we currently stand with the figures at the end of November 2021, uh, DSC has uh, eclipsed their efforts in terms of pure traffic. And that in this marketplace, particularly when uh, a couple of our major rivals are US based and there's a, a clearly a much bigger core marketplace there, I have to say I am surprised and utterly delighted with that. And we will be pushing forward with that. Those figures will be forming part of a further push. We have some exciting plans for what will be Daily Sports Car's 20th anniversary year wow. in 2022. Uh, 20 years we'll have been doing this. And uh, and if you're listening, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm Cracknell, our founding editor, hasn't had a particularly good time of it in health terms in recent weeks. And um, he's been struggling a bit. Malk, it's all down to you. Without this... Without what uh, you did in the late 90s with Sports Car World, Super Sports Car World, Total Motorsport, and then Daily Sports Car from 2002, reality is you and I wouldn't be sitting here talking, MP. I wouldn't have this this life, this this job, this passion, um, and be able to you know, expound and expand upon it. So uh, absolutely delighted that that's the case. This is not a kind of, let's put my hand up and, and say, yeah, yeah, boo sucks. It's tough out there. Uh, to to make uh, anything can account in the media, and particularly if you try to do it with quality. So if you're out there and kicking ass in our marketplace or elsewhere, keep doing it, please. Please keep doing it, because this is an exciting marketplace to be in. But it looks like we're doing something right. So guess what? We'll be doing more of it with more resource, and I hope very soon with more people as well. So thanks for that, uh, that tee up. Uh, that was not what I was expecting this evening, but yeah, I know we exchanged notes on just exactly where the marketplace is at the moment. Happy to say, by the way, that uh, you know another outlet that both you and I uh, do help to service with um, sports car news. In your case, a vast amount more than that. Uh, Numbersracer.com, <sighs> astonishing, absolutely astonishing. You know, it's uh, big, big numbers every month. Um, and it looks as if the trend is upwards. And with what we know is coming down the road, 2022, 2023 and beyond, uh, seems to me, MP, that uh, that golden age, let's hope, can be reflected in the amount of coverage that we can get in the outlets we serve and beyond that um, for our good listeners and beyond. So thank you for that one. Oh, of course. And I'll just mention one more time. This is work that you're putting in excess work as if you aren't already busy enough with all the travel and whatnot that you do but this is extra commitment from you being met with interest this also yeah. speaks in a global sense among i would say i would hope most of the sites that cover modern day motor racing whatever whatever Correct. whatever um things are kicking off in a proper direction with sports car and obviously if there wasn't an audience fully interested in the work you're putting in and whomever else is putting in on their sites, obviously we wouldn't see the uptick. So you have to put in that work as you've been doing with dailysportscar.com to hope there's an audience waiting and interested in it. Doesn't always work out. 
It is. That's the thing that I love as well. So uh, good on you, mate. Keep working, and hopefully uh, you'll get that uh, new DSC um, G6 Learjet um, all ready to go. So, all right, speaking of ready to go. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening. I just outed you there. Little did we know. Um, Why don't we get into some uh, Toyota-themed questions? Okay. Kicked off by some guy named... Okay, Arjonal, uh, I think is the person you might have mentioned, uh, or it could be RJ O'Connell, like my Liz Dexia could be kicking up again. Uh, expectations for Toyota player turned manager Kamui Kobayashi, my all-time favorite interview. It, it's it's an interesting one. So this refers to a raft of announcements that came uh, earlier this week from Toyota, their global uh, motorsport programs, but uh, two or three announcements in particular that impacted the WEC squad. Ryo Hirakawa, uh, who will be replacing Kazuki Nakajima uh, as a full season driver in the team. But the two unexpected parts of it, vice president of Tota uh, Gazoo Racing Europe goes to Kazuki Nakajima, who did indeed announce his full retirement from driving. That wasn't something... I think we were particularly expecting. We thought we might see Kaz back and racing in something at a high level in Japan, but that's not the case. He will be moving full-time to Europe and will take over a uh, recasting of a role that was with Murata-san, the president of Toyota Team Europe, uh, Toyota uh, Kazoo Racing Europe, who will be returning to, I think has returned to Japan in a senior role on the road car development side. So Kaz Nakajima now in a very senior position indeed. That's a replacement for another senior Japanese manager. Kamui Kobayashi, I know there's a, a question a little further down uh, from Right Turn Lover, asks where does that live Rob Loypen, Pascal Vaslon? This is a new role to the team principal role that's been given to uh, Kamui Kobayashi. Uh, is a new role how that will work operationally i think we'll see when we get the cars wheels down uh, for testing and in racing but uh kami kobayashi uh is now the toyota uh Gizu racing wc team principal pretty clearly uh, that does not mean he'll have to get out the car and go and run down the uh, the pit lane to go and see eduardo if the team manager has to go to race control a couple of questions that have been asked, and I, I, I need to find the moment to ask it with people's faces in front of me. What does this mean about team orders across both cars? Um, don't know. Uh, I think this is its an interesting move from Totokasu Racing. We know that Japanese factory teams traditionally have liked to have uh, senior management from Japan, even with their European-based efforts. I think this is a huge vote of confidence in what they've got in Europe and in that uh, that organization. And the only other thing I'll chuck into this one is I dropped into a lengthy piece looking at 2022 for Hypercar, uh, which we'll refer to in a, in a couple of questions down this list. Um, I think you can expect to see some changes. In the GR010, that car will continue, but I think there will be some significant changes to that car coming into the 2022 season. The Joker regulations are pretty generous for hypercar. It does allow people within a single model uh, to make some significant changes um, for performance, for efficiency, for safety. Um, And I suspect we're going to see... Well, I'm not suspecting. I'm telling you, uh, I think we're going to see the... uh, 
the first of those jokers played by Toyota uh, to front off what they expect to see from Peugeot and from uh, the others, including Glickenhaus. I had a long chat with Jim Glickenhaus this week as well in preparation for that piece. Uh, and from Alpine and from the, it has to be said now, likely at some point uh, addition to the fold or re-addition to the fold of Bicolis. Fun. Let's go to Doug Bonham, uh, team principal, one-third of a hypercar lineup. How exactly is Kobayashi going to bounce it all? Uh, and any other loose thoughts on the promotions of Nakajima-san and Kobayashi-san recently? Uh, I know you touched on that a little bit about um, uh, team orders and whatnot, but this isn't the first time we've had uh, someone carrying multiple roles, right? If we think back to, well, granted, this is a long time ago, but if we think about the uh, the Holbert Racing team, Al Holbert might have yep. had the record for most most titles uh, carried at the same time. He was obviously the team owner of the factory Porsche uh, effort here uh, in American IMSA. And I think at its peak during the GTP era, where they also had the dominant uh, IMSA entry there, winning multiple championships with the Porsche 962, which he uh, was integral in developing, you had Al Holbert, who was team owner, driver, lead development person he had the family porsche audi dealership in warrington pennsylvania that he was in charge of and uh, although the title wasn't exactly what it is today he was the president of what we would call porsche motorsports north america uh (laughs) so you go uh Hi, Al. Could you both uh, race the car, handle all the budgets, tell us how to make it faster, sell cars, street cars to folks, and look after all of Porsche's uh, factory racing interests in North America um, and then try and run that division too. So I don't know if I've answered the question here um, for Doug, but there's lots for Kamui to do, but there are those who have had to do more and won championships and still been able to succeed doing it. But I think I think the thing to add is that we've not, with the exception of Murata Sano we've already mentioned, no one else is leaving. And the, the group, the management group at uh, Totex Zoo Racing in Cologne, um, are a very able one. So what I think is going on here, I think they are developing their talent for future roles within the wider company. Uh, it doesn't hurt, does it, in what is going to be a very crowded marketplace indeed, for the OEMs, for particularly in their home marketplace to have visible senior managers and spokespeople that are recognisable faces to a viewing audience. Remember, both uh, both the guys we're talking about here, Kaz Nakajima and Kimuri Kobayashi, both with Formula One on their C- CVs, as well as now both World Championship wins in WC and Le Mans wins. So these are significant sports personalities in their home marketplace. I think that's got a part to play in it. But it does seem, in the same way as we've seen with with others, with other makes uh, MP, and, you know, Alan McNish is another good example of this, finding the potential for management talent in people that have, that have had sporting achievements and public recognition does seem to be, um, you know, a, a, a kind of revived trend. And I think that's something to be 
celebrated. I think it's great that we're going to see some of these guys stay around. You know, I know from talking to the people at Tota, particularly when uh, it was announced that Kaz was stepping down as a full season driver, there's genuine sorrow that we're going to lose him from that. Um, you know, it's an awesome individual, great to talk to. Um, you know, uh, just completely proper and has always been imbued with the spirit of that brand. And I think they're smart not to lose that. And I think they're smarter still to invest in it. Uh, so let's, that's a bit of hashtag wait and see how that all kind of pans out. As for the, um, the variety of roles that Kamui's now got, I think that's going to be interesting to see how that looks, uh, on the ground. Uh, no doubt he will be very much a kind of figurehead, just exactly what that means in terms of his duties in a racing weekend, I think remains to be seen. But I think it's great that we've got, um, you know, real sportsmen of talent being given an opportunity for status within what is, let's not forget, a huge company, um, you know, one of the very biggest OEMs on the planet. And, you know, it's great that the two of their sporting heroes are being given very visible roles. Uh, for I'm guessing we're going to see them very much front and centre in terms of the forward-facing roles uh, for those two gentlemen as things kind of roll forward. Why don't we move on to Damien Peachman says with Rio Ooh. Hirakawa's promotion to the WC, which Japanese driver is maybe next on Toyota's development list? I think if you want to be looking at the drivers that have got Toyota blessing in both Super Formula and Super GT, and increasingly what we've seen with some of those drivers um, is that Toyota have got a realization that perhaps hasn't always been there in the past of the need for the next sporting hero to have a bit of an international uh, international kind of outlook. And what that means in particular is ability with language. Um, I wouldn't be telling tales out of school that uh, um, I and Stephen Kilby in the past have been part of that, uh, that drive where uh, we were, as part of an arrangement we had with a completely different team, uh, actively encouraged to interview a previous junior Toyota driver in English after every race that that young man actually contested and then to report back to the team and I've zero doubt they were reporting back to Toyota on his progress with that language. And, and that's not really that different, if you think about it, from the kind of progress and the kind of development program we've seen from a, from multiple manufacturers. Porsche are always mentioned in this regard. And by the way, their uh, 2022 uh, young driver uh, revealed this year as well. You know, and that includes being prepped for a whole range of things, physical preparation, mental preparation, the media side of things. You know, all of that is a big part of what has moved towards making sports car racing what the fan base crave uh, when we can get back to fans back in the, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the pits and the paddock, which is, you know, a, a truly accessible group where you're going to ask a sensible question of a factory driver and they're probably going to stop and have that quick conversation with you. That is just the culture that we have. And, you know, we're blessed to have it. And, you know, I think that's what Toto recognised. This is something where I, th I think they see the value moving forward of having a little bit more than that of that than perhaps they've had previously um, in the sports uh, because they know that that kind of outlook and attitude is coming from multiple 
of their competitors in the marketplace. Those race meetings, if they're done well, if they're promoted well, if they're broadcast well, are going to be must-visit events, I think, from 23 onwards. And Tota want to make sure that the R&D program that has been the efforts behind the WEC uh, programs so far uh, expands into that wider media world. And let's hope that's a positive change. Okay, going to wind down here on the Toyota front. Uh, Otter FR says, why did Nick DeVries fail to secure the uh, Toyota Gazoo Le Mans hypercar drive? I think I can throw I in it, a little yeah. something here on this, Graham. Yeah. Knowing that it. the defending FIA Formula E champ with the uh, Mercedes EQ program does have one full season left to complete on that contract. Uh, the Mercedes EQ team announcing they will be departing at the end of the next Formula E season. So while I can't say if and how many date clashes there might be between Formula E in the WEC, I can tell you, uh, knowing that Stoffel Van Dorn was offered a IndyCar drive uh, towards the end of last season, I believe while Formula E season was still on. Uh, it wasn't a full season offer, but it, it was a, a handful of races. And I believe in just about every instance, there would have been no conflicts. Uh, the Mercedes team said no. And I guess I would understand the reason why, as it's been done many times in other instances, where uh, a team or a manufacturer in this case says, hi, we have you under contract to compete for us in the series, and we are not willing to run the risk of you getting injured or being tired, distracted, showing up with you know limited sleep, whatever it might be, with the extracurricular activities. There are some teams and manufacturers we know of that say, go have fun, go play. In this instance, I would guess, Otter FR, that we might have had Mercedes stepping in again saying, Hi, reigning champ. <laughs> uh, reserve and this and maybe a select thing here or there that might fit with Toyota. Is that something we might be able to sign off on? Yeah, you getting an actual full season drive and having two, uh, effectively two full season deals. Yeah, we're, we're not going to be able to get behind that. Yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, Nick is still a very young man, uh, exceptional race driver. And make no mistake, he's got his eye on the ultimate prizes, and that includes Formula One. He's looking to make sure that Mercedes know that he is someone that should be thought about if an opportunity arises at the very top. Now, does it look like that's going to happen anytime immediately soon? No, it doesn't. But he's looking after his his wider career. So I think the answer here is that what you were kind of edging around there is uh, I think there might well have been a seat there if he'd wanted it, and um, or it, or indeed if he'd been free to take it. Uh, but my guess is, and it is a guess, is that um, if that offer was made, it certainly wasn't taken up. Uh, I don't think we've heard the last of Nick DeVries, not by a very, very long shot. Uh, that is, I think, a young man we're going to see for many years into the future. He also completed his first IndyCar test on Monday. Indeed with the uh, Meyer Shank racing team. And I know they would be very keen to secure his services once the uh, FIA Formula E championship uh, is completed in 2022. Uh, what do we move on to? How did we not lead off the show with this, Graham? I, I have to own up to an epic 
failure as the host. The return of Bicolis. Now that I think yeah. is also a movie starring Jason <laughs> Statham where there's some form of central European baddies that he's having to drive away from in an Audi or BMW or something like I, I'm kind of forgetting the plot. But anyway, so if you haven't seen it, Netflix, I think, or maybe Hulu, The Return of Bicolis. Excellent action flick. Uh, Matthew License, kidding aside, says, uh, so can we now come to the conclusion that Bicolis will be racing next season? Says, uh, I'm so excited for all the big manufacturers to come. Part of me really wants these guys to bring their car and hope that it's competitive. Got a couple other questions here uh, that are fun as well. But by Collis, Graham, they're real. They're here. You and I and our doubts that we've mentioned 5,000 times before. Totally unfounded, right? Well, we're not going to come on track yet. I oh. mean, the, so where where are we? So, okay, let's let's bring people crashing up to date so you're saying a car um, needs to be on track for a program to be real man i think you so. are I think, I think with a wheel at each corner and and something to power it in the back uh all the front um so we've seen now two pieces of evidence that things are beginning to move towards the possibility that we'll see a car on uh, out in testing at some point um the first of which is that uh tom dillman one of the two test and development drivers was pictured sitting in a cockpit, which you are, I think it's fair to say we believe that is the Baikonis. He's in for a seat fitting. Well, he's not going to be in for seat fitting unless there's at least a program to go further than just sitting in a workshop. Um, that's number one. Number two is Esteban Guerrieri. Um, the Argentine driver uh, gave an interview to local sports radio station where he said he'd been in contact with the team uh that uh, there was a program heading towards first testing for the car he wasn't sure whether or not he was going to be part of that first test but he'd been sent a picture of or pictures of the rear of the car complete to the, the rear of the car um whether or not that meant the bodywork whether or not that meant the uh motive power uh, sort of things, which, by the way, is a rebadged um, 4.5-liter Gibson uh, V8, the the LMP1 spec engine for that car. Um, it's coming. The, the 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 other little snippet, by the way, I I do know, is that for whatever reason, the technical working group for uh, the hypercar uh, class, which includes, of course, LMDH and includes uh, representatives from every uh, prospective entrant, that Bicolis have not attended the last two meetings of that. Now, that might be because they're too busy um, welding, drilling, gluing. Welding carbon fiber. Yes. It, Only yeah, something that, that doesn't they go can well, do. Does it? No, that doesn't go well. But uh, putting bits on their car, it might be for some other reason. I'll say just this. At the moment, the evidence seems to be pointing towards a program that is moving forward, whether it's moving forward time enough for an absolutely full season remains to be seen. Um, whether or not we get the two cars that have been implied or stated elsewhere by Colin Collis, uh, I think that's a hell of a stretch, but do I expect that in the weeks plural to come, we might see, um, a car of sorts in shakedown mode, as we've seen today with the Peugeot. I think we probably might. Um, 
Beyond that, I know there's a couple of other questions about where does the funding come from, blah, 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 blah. There was one social media... Have we just dismissed our, our listeners with a blah, 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 blah? Come no. on, man. Well, here's, here's one. I, I, I'm going to have to dig deep to find where, where this came from. But someone who seems to have been digging around into the background of this company, um, PMC, I think it's called, don't the company that. that's behind don't, don't the... Dig. Oh, you, you, uh, yeah. they might be digging holes for you part, if you dig too deep. It, it, it appears that that company has gained the trademark uh, for a very interesting make. And that make is Van Wall. What? <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, that, that I've read in one place only. I've not checked it up uh, and will be. But Van Wall, and <laughs> by Collis, I can barely believe I'm saying it in the same sentence, um, appear to be in some way intertwined because we want to make sure that all of the living 70 to 80 year old motor racing fans feel a kinship to a modern day Lamar hypercar. Like, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, it sounds yeah, to me like it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Van wall. If you were a fan of formula one in the 1950s or whatever, and, maybe early sixties. If my memory isn't failing me, like you'd know what it was, but other than like it, yeah. Um, that's obscure. Uh, yeah. maybe there's like a Hungarian knockoff of Matra called like Hatra, uh, <laughs> that we can bring back as well. I don't know. I mean, let how deep can we go here? Uh, Manx. How about a, a Manx? Uh, let's bring that back. 1960 Van Wall. Uh, finished their Formula One See, adventures with Tony Brooks. Yeah, it was excellent, amazing driver. But okay, wow. But is that not the most bicolous thing possible? If true, <laughs> is that not the Masters of Obscura? Is that not the most where you go? Yeah, okay, I can see that. Yeah, that makes sense. Sure. Oh, boy, I love it. They never. It'll be 64 years since they won the Manufacturers World Championship. Yeah. Okay. There you go. It's a huge market out there. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, where should, well, since you blah, 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 people, uh, are we done with their those, or do we want to, what do we want to do here? You tell me. Are there it's, more uh, Weckasm Elms Echo questions you want before we do something yeah, there's, else? There's a couple around. There's a couple. I know there's one there about uh, LMP2. Um, there's also something I think it's quite an interesting one across the board to do with some of these star drivers. Uh, uh, something I want to hear from yourself as well, MP. Star drivers that might find their way into sports cars in the next couple of years, and Valentino Rossi being name checked there. All righty. Uh, I'm trying to find those. So, or do you want to? Pick it and read it, or what do you want me to do here? Uh, well, I'll go with John Schultz's question. Do you think, it says John, uh, Johnny Trotz, that Johnny Trotz, do, do you think that in the future the WC could try to benefit from the popularity of the star drivers who compete in it? Could you imagine, for example, the great efforts they made to many uh, Valentino Rossi fans to Monza, or races organised at Lausitz Ring for all the uh, Robert Kubica fans? I hope it's not that blunt. It's a straight answer. Um, I, I think at the moment that it's pretty clear that Valentino Rossi is one of the hottest tickets in town for uh, manufacturers and for teams. Latest thing we've seen, of course, was 
uh, Valentino testing a WRT Audi um, in uh, was it Valencia? The Audi Sport Customer Racing uh, test there. So WRT. Now, what might that be? Well, Valentino himself has name-checked GT World Challenge as being one part possible avenue uh, to move forward with. He's also name-checked uh, the Rolex 24 Hours and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. And, of course, we have seen, I think, am I right, 2020, I think, we had the Speedstar WRT Audi at the Rolex 24. So WRT do have fairly recent form there. Could it be that? Um, we absolutely know that there's multiple levels and layers of interest in attracting him to other series that he's name-checked, including the LMS and the FIWC, and in particular, of course, the Le Mans 24 Hours. Um, there's going to be no shortage of people looking to get that signature for a whole range of reasons, um, most of them commercially based, and uh, no doubt in my mind that what's fueling Valentino Rossi's uh, way forward is his passion for the sport. Um, I'm sure there's going to be commercial aspects to it, but it's his passion for the sport. He doesn't have to come and do this. He wants to come and do this. So I do look forward to wherever he finally rocks up. I, I think I've said before on a weekend sports cars, it might be one of the shows that you missed, MP, earlier in the uh, late last month, that I hope we don't see quite as blunt a stick in PR terms being wielded as perhaps we saw with uh, with Fernando Alonso. You know, it is a championship. We can have dozens of cars and something like three times that number of drivers uh, involved here, not all of whom are, you know, global superstars, but all deserve to have their stories told. And I hope that the, the breadth of the championship and the depth of a championship, wherever he, he does rock up, is respected in the way that the race organisers and race promoters decide that they're going to exploit with, I hope, a lowercase e, uh, the presence of one of the biggest stars in modern motorsport, any form of modern motorsport. Um, you're absolutely right, Johnny. I have zero doubt that wherever Valentino goes, he is one of the few drivers slash riders that will bring a substantial paying audience with him. Um, so let's hope that's done in a way that everybody can feel good about, including Valentino. Uh, it's a straight answer. But as for exactly what's going to emerge here, the answer here is there are just too many possibilities at the moment to possibly come back to. My guess is he'll end up doing more than one thing. We know he's going to race in the Gulf 12 hours uh, in January at the Asmarina. That's something he's done before with his friend and with his half-brother, with Castle Racing and a Ferrari. But that um, that looks to be just the start of what could be a reasonably extensive 2022 behind the wheel of a car beautiful if you hear typing in the background i apologize I'm actually sending a little email to uh damon hill just to stand oh, really? recently a uh, collection of photos i was given from uh, the watkins Glen formula one race in 1966 oh, wow. and found one here very amusing of his dad on some sort of little very small motorbike uh very small and uh, someone clutching onto him uh, from behind in the dirt paddock as fans on both sides of this uh, dirt road snap away photos of uh, Graham Hill riding 
a comically small scooter. So I just figure I'd send it to Graham, who's probably or Damon, who's got a million photos of his dad. But uh, who knows? Maybe it'd be amusing. Anyways, I'm sure we will. Uh, sure we what will. else do we want to cover off, brother? As we're uh, fairly deep into Wekasm Elmzeko. Final thing here, I'm, gonna, I'm just going just gonna to take uh, this one from Matthew Lysons, who asks about Ligier and that uh, they so far have been able to get an LMDH program. Are they focused more elsewhere than being in the top class? Just want to be doing LMP2. They certainly are pushing forward with an LMP2 program and uh, long chat with a couple of people at very high levels within the Ligier Automotive uh, family, literally family, uh, in the last week or two. Um, there is no LMDH customer for them. They are ready, willing, and able to service a potential customer, making that clear by pushing on with their LMP2 uh, program. They certainly intend to market in that arena. We saw their LMPX this week. That is, effectively, it's the the evil stepchild of the JSP217 LMP2 car, the uh, Nissan uh, DPI car with an 825 horsepower uh, in-house development uh, engine that is going to be um, out-tested by uh, by Olivier Pla, who has already reported this thing is an absolute beast. Uh, they, I think, going to be going looking to impress people and uh, grab some uh, some record laps at significant circuits before that car. Is going to be sold off as a one-off, the start of a number of one-offs you'll see from Ligier in the months and the years to come. They are very confident that there's a future for them uh, in sports car racing. They've got, of course, the predominantly popular chassis in LMP3. They believe they can make a splash in LMP2 and that uh, the success they hope they're going to have with their new LMP2 car will attract others uh, to their um, to their kind of their, their technology abilities. Should say, by the way, the final thing to say, of course, is they are involved as a supplier um, in terms of the carbon fiber and some of the aero uh, for the Peugeot that we've seen the first knockings of today. So they're far from not busy, uh, including, of course, MP with single seaters, particularly stateside, where they've got a pretty significant presence. Uh, having obtained, uh, they now own and run uh, what used to be Crawford, don't they? Yeah, and that's something that's a little bit interesting too. There was a point where you could say uh, Liget slash Crawford, whatever was thriving in terms of junior open wheel sales here in the U.S. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case with Roger Penske taking over taking back Indy Lights, which the IndyCar series has owned. Also, uh, some strengthened plans, new chassis plans for the other levels of the road to Indy. We'll see where it ends up, but I would say open wheel in America might be a market that is going to start declining and declining rapidly for Ligier. Well, well, we will see. Um, I think it's time to switch codes from uh, the ACO uh, end of the uh, sports car paddock to IMSA and uh, I'm going to start hurling stuff at you one that we saw, we've seen a number of drivers who are at that two day test at Daytona uh, earlier this week but the pictures that, that hit Twitter 
like a lightning bolt came from Heliocastro Nevis, and that is the sausage curbs at the bus stop at Daytona. If you've not seen these, yes. difficult to describe, MP, but uh, you want to have a crack at this one? Uh, Cody at Cody DW12, what's going on with the curbing at Daytona's bus stop? Who approved those changes? Cross Dot Main, uh, as well, with pre roll testing, revealed the inclusion of massive sausage curbs. Drivers like Elio and Oliver Jarvis having massive concerns. His only question is um, just why? Hashtag me personally. It's just to add some possible Daytona drama. What say you, MB? Don't have an answer. Uh, we'll be seeking one soon, I hope. Was forwarded uh, those photos by a driver um, <laughs> who was there. And we did have a little bit of a chuckle. For those who don't know about the general layout uh, in and around Daytona International Speedway, directly behind the track, what we would uh, say is the back straight. Cars coming out of the infield onto the banking, kind of a you know, turn NASCAR turn one, turn two, and then on down that long straight uh, towards turn three. But they make the left into the bus stop, the right, and then on the exit out. <clears throat> is where they've installed these now sizable, punishing uh, sausage curbs. Along that same back straight, if you've never seen, that's where Daytona International Airport is, or whatever its specific name happens to be. So it was joking, knowing that the placement of the new curbs um, is right there next to the actual airstrip that uh, the folks in uh, air traffic control might need to pay a closer closer look to their radar during uh, the roar in the race because you get it wrong exiting the bus stop at 120 miles an hour 30 whatever it is oh there's going to be some launches um the heck with blue origin and spacex and whatever else that's going on to outer space in florida launches no Leaving the bus stop uh, towards NASCAR turn three. Uh, oh, my dear. There's a uh, Lamborghini in my soup. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> be careful uh, is all I'm saying. But I'm kidding a little bit. But, yeah, wow. Uh, I don't fully understand that. And I'm sure I'm the millionth person to share that observation. I do look forward to finding out why. I just don't fully grasp um the the thinking here because is it too slow cars is it to slow the overall motion through the bus stop because if you know that there is a new choke point at the end and you are unable to motor through there as as quickly as you want knowing that you can use the the driver's left lane not necessarily into the dirt but it's a bit of free play trying to leave the bus stop if you're trying to slow that down so that faster cars can't, say, dive to the left to try and get by exiting the uh, bus stop and whatnot, um, I don't fully understand it because like uh, our listeners, I'm of the mind that, wow, <laughs> this, this could cause serious problems. So who knows? Maybe there's an anarchist within IMSA <laughs> or the Daytona International Speedway hierarchy that says, What's the uh, what's the record for cautions during the Rolex 24? Aha! We will have a new one in January of 2022. So, uh, hopefully, some answers to come. But yeah, woof, boy, that not make a lot of sense. 
Uh, we've got lots of questions about GTD, and we'll I'll say again, Michael O'Keefe uh, has asked a question, realistically, how many GTD Pro and GTD cars will we see on the grid next season? Any surprises we should be on the lookout for? I think, it, is it fair to say, MP, that you're, where you're comfortable with actually letting people know public at the moment is that piece on racer.com this week? Yeah, and there, there's more to come. Uh, there's one or two people that took a uh, took a shot like, this is meaningless without the context of whether it's taking away cars from GTD or not. And like, sure, cool, whatever. Um, one of the things you try and do during the off season is not fire every single story in on the oh, yeah. same day, because then what do you do for the other couple of months? So, uh, there's more coming. Um, yep. can say that from the calls that I've made, what I've learned that is both known and that has not been revealed. I'm really happy about where GTD is going to be, at least in terms of the Rolex 24, still getting a little bit of a feel for what the full season number is going to be. But um, right now, I think we're going to see a redonkulous number of GT3 based uh, GT cars competing at the Rolex 24 and then a very strong number in both pro and call it non-pro uh, GTD forms for the entire season. But yeah, more stories to write, not doing everything at once. Uh, all will be revealed in time. Yeah, I, I tend to echo that. I'm uh, sitting at the moment uh, drafting four or five stories at a time in the background, some of which will be in the next couple of days, some of which will might be a couple of weeks before we can Run them. It includes, by the way, and uh, not in relation to IMSA, to what I think will be brand new series for 2022 um, in a couple of different marketplaces. So watch, uh, watch for those emerging. Could and should have had at least one of them this week. Uh, it's not happened for a variety of drafting reasons. Moving on to a bit of detail to do with uh, GTD. Brandon Kratzer says, any news on a Ford Mustang GT3 program in IMSA? I know it's something we've referenced a couple of times mp i know that you've been sniffing around uh, that particular uh, lamppost uh, for a little wee while where where do we think things are in terms of the ford pony car coming to gt3 well my thoughts would fall in this area and i say this with all love and all everything don't hesitate to Pay a visit to racer.com because sometimes I write about these things and provide the full answers. Uh, so wrote about, I think possibly even broke the news that Ford will be uh, coming back to uh, factory racing here uh, with a GT3 model. Maybe not the biggest secret, but uh, enough points of confirmation from places where you go, oh, there is no doubt. Uh, so yes, is that a 2024 program? I've heard that is maybe the most like, I shouldn't say heard written about that as the most likely timeline for that to, uh, to take place. Uh, so could we see something earlier? I mean, potentially, I guess, but 2024 is what I've written about, uh, and hear that that is indeed, uh, most likely. Okay. Um, two questions, one from Jeremiah Snetska and one from Clement Rosin. Both asking about the future for Paul Miller Racing. We've seen that they're parting ways with Lamborghini. Um, any news? I think the answer is no, there isn't. Um, yes, and there Clement, 
Clement saying, um, you know, any idea as to which manufacturer they choose for next season, if indeed they choose to continue? Can we first and foremost say whether or not we expect them to continue, MP? They will. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we, we tend not to break a lot of news here uh, just because, you know, uh, we try and do that for our clients and or you for uh, DSC. But And I don't know if this is breaking news. I don't know if anyone gives a fart. And if you're still listening at almost an hour into the show or whatever the exact <laughs> timeline is, because I recorded about 10 or 11 minutes early, uh, hit the recording early. So I've got to delete that. But anyways, um, I have it on fairly good account that our friends at Paul Miller Racing uh, will be going German. And Ooh. not for the first time, right? They were an Audi nope. team, if I remember correctly. Um, won't be going Audi. Won't be going Mercedes AMG. Opel Mansa. Won't, yes. And they were also a Porsche team for many years. Uh, won't be going Porsche. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's try and be nice people by not saying the manufacturer. <laughs> okay. Uh, but from what I understand, if you subtract those German-based manufacturers who produce GT3 cars and try and think of who's left. Um, VW Jetta. Damn it. Don't give it away. Uh, so, yeah, I've heard <laughs> that not Audi, not Mercedes, not Porsche is where okay. they are going, but they are going German. Another question, and I frankly still have to reach out and ask, but, and I don't know if it's specific to them, uh, Paul Miller Racing, but I have heard that demand is high enough for the brand and model that we're letting folks figure out on their own that I don't know if everyone who's bought one wants one, can't wait to convert to one is going to get them exactly when they want them. Yeah. So, and I know you've heard that as well, and that's not exactly top secret, but uh, the thing that I'm hoping to find out is, well, A, will they even talk about who they're going to, but um, where would they have placed their order? And are they in a position to where it was early enough to where they would get a car to play for the full season? Or, Hmm. again, depending on when the change might have been made, uh, could they be in a spot where, I don't know, they don't have one for the opening rounds? Do they have to wheel out uh, one of their former models, former brands? What Again, I know none of those things definitively. I just know it's a question mark. Where are you on the order list? And does that allow you to then play uh, in the opening round or rounds of the year? Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? Um, what we got left? Uh, Magnus Racing, um, and they've they've effectively confirmed the Enduros. But uh, Jerry Roberts sort of asking, can he expect them more races the Enduros next season? What his reading indicates, they may be that may be all they race. That's certainly what I've seen in a couple of fairly cryptic messages from the from the team uh, thus far. And that's uh, you know with the Aston Martin. Uh, they'll be coming back with which is their 473rd different gt3 car yes uh, yeah want to say quick thanks by the way to jerry he and his wife sent a very nice christmas card which uh Did they? just arrived yeah because they're really good they're Wanna midwest they're midwesterners now. if you're from the midwest i mean there's just an like canadians there's an automatic assumption that you're a good and decent person were raised well so thanks to jerry and his wife 
uh, for that. Um, how, how do I say this in as least spicy a way as possible? I wish Mr. Potter and his team well. I hope that they enjoy the motor racing that they do, whether it's part-time, full-time, whatever time. Um, it's been a while since there's been a reason to take what they do as something that I would say would be factored into real championship framing. Hey, got to watch out. Going to do this season of whatever it is, GTC, Grand Am, Rolex GT, uh, IMSA, GTD, whatever it is. Been a little while since there's been a reason to associate the name Magnus Racing with real serious front-running capabilities. I would hope for them, because John Potter does this because he loves it, not because he needs to do it, uh, I hope that they find fulfillment in their move to, as you mentioned, the 473rd manufacturer. Um, I hope that they find what they were lacking last year and maybe whatever the years before that. Um, I'm a fairly results-oriented person when it comes to who I really pay attention to. And if you're not producing, I don't cast much of a gaze to whatever team's way. Uh, if you're not delivering for whatever reason, uh, I don't see much reason to dedicate my time to what you're doing uh, since this is a sport built on competition and excelling. And so I'm hoping the once very powerful and threatening Magnus team can become that again. We'll see. Uh, I can tell you this constant change take a look at all the teams and whatever forms of racing or frankly uh, sport in general tell me which team goes through constant change different service providers different manufacturers different co-drivers different 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 and they are long-time successes those things tend not to go together so again uh, maybe they're planning routes with something new here Maybe that Aston Martin will uh, allow them to be more competitive. Maybe taking things back in-house will be uh, the thing that gets them back on track. Truly, like I'd love to see that happen for them. But until that happens, uh, I'm going to focus on whomever rises to the top uh, and put my energies there. Yeah, well, I tend to agree it's going to be pretty crowded as well. Uh, how long have we got, MP? Eh, not much. Uh, I've got okay, Rocky let's, let's... meowing and looking at me like I might be his food. If I don't feed right, him soon. Your, your so. turn this, this, this week to be uh, terrorized by the cat. So that was me last week. Let's, in which case, leapfrog down to some of her general and fun. And I'm going to, uh, let's have a quick look here. Uh, Andres Last uh, Lantos says, last time in Grey Matter chat with Gay, Guy, Guy, did I say Gay Smith? Guy Smith, sorry. No, Marino Guy. Smith. Guy yes. Frankiti, yes. Um, indeed, you said that uh, you prefer clear explanations when BOP has changed. Do you agree, Sandros? Somebody who walks a lot of sports car paddocks. I guess you've asked that question to series, le uh, series leaders. What's the answer? Why don't they give explanations? It's not a question. It's my view. My view is they would save themselves a lot of grief by being clearer about not just BOP, but other technical changes they make. Don't hide it. You know, we've all... Uh, been briefed pretty solidly as to what the bases for these classes are. If you're going to make changes, we know that it's done from race data, which race, 
what change do you expect to make? I just think it's if if it does still leave a debate, at least it's an informed debate rather than an ill-informed debate, an uninformed debate, or in the case of what we had in Bahrain, uh, basically a one-sided debate. So I think they'd be doing themselves a favour as we as we go further and deeper into the BOP era to just change that culture into one with a bit more openness so that perhaps we get less, to use a word you've just used, MP, less spiciness about the implication that it's political. I don't believe in most cases it is, uh, but I think it's maybe about time that rulemakers showed a bit more confidence in their own processes. Well, It uh, is, after all, a process that every single competitor has signed up to in submitting an entry form. Um, so, you know, moaning and bleating about it um, is one thing, but if we can have clarity about process, then my view is everybody should get on the bus and get behind the rule book, not just spend your time moaning about it. Let me. Uh, that's just where I am. Let me the, throw the answer, this by the in, way, is we did. Pardon? Let me throw this in about that, and I think yeah. this is actually the true and genuine heart of the answer. This is very unlikely uh, going to change in the kind of way that is being expressed here, the desire being expressed here by Andres uh, or even yourself. For one, there's a central reason as to why there's always a disconnect between why did you change the BOP to this, what was the desired effect, who was too fast, who was too slow, whatever. It's one main reason why you'd never get explanations on this. The folks making those changes are not in the communication business, nor do they think in public media fan communication terms. They are either engineers, software, and race engineer, vehicular engineers, software engineers, uh, folks who've just learned this stuff in general. These are folks who are software, mechanical, data-minded, who are using whatever tools at their disposal to make these changes, explaining those changes and communicating them to the public it's just not a standard part of how these departments work, the personas of those folks and such. What you do get, and where there is a possibility for this to be, quote, corrected, some series, I know that IMSA does this, will hold a conference call with manufacturers. Going into the next race, we're going to have BOP changes. Uh, you here... You're getting an extra 10 kilos. You there, you're getting less air to your motor. They will actually run through the changes, explain them to the manufacturers. Doesn't mean the manufacturers love it, but there is an actual, could you explain that to us, the folks who are making the cars, paying the money, running the teams, etc. That does happen. If and how that dissemination might fall into a, how could we distill that, uh, hand that off to our racing series communications team to then share that with the world? That could be a possibility, but I will say, or just reiterate, it's an uphill battle. The folks who are making these changes, dictating BOP, the things that often frustrate us and whomever else, they have zero linkage, commitment, or I would say desire to then have to explain to the world why they did what they did. So culturally, there's a breakdown here. I don't know if we're going to see that ever change. 
Well, I, I, I've got hopes high. We, we did have a win. We had a win back in the, the latter days of equivalence of technology. It was a drum I banged for quite some time. And we eventually did get, after a couple of situations where myself and others, others multiple, uh, simply got it wrong because we simply didn't understand the depth of technical information we were being handed on a regular basis. And I asked for, can we effectively have what I would term in PR terms an executive summary? And we got it. We got it for well over a year um, in equivalent technology, which basically said, this is what we've done. This is why we've done it. This is how we expect it to affect the performance of the cars. So it's effectively one of those things you'll see sometimes at the bottom of a press release, which is, you know, effectively not for publication. It's information to help you to understand. That's all we want. You know, it's then a matter of, an editorial policy as to what you decide you're going to do with that. I remain completely convinced Bunner's performance is not news. It's news if they get it wrong. Um, it is information that should be out there in the same way as a you know pit stop penalty, but it is simply just part of the way the racing formula goes. Adding urgency and amplifying uh, people's emotion about, oh, dear me, we've got 25 kilos – well, so what? What exactly does that mean? If you're going to invest time and put a headline to say, you know, Porsche, Ferrari, Lexus have been hit with, then tell us what you think the difference is it's going to make. If not, you know, get over yourself and just leave it to see what we're going to get on track. I don't believe that actually it's valid just to throw data out there um, without an understanding of, an explanation of what the difference is that you expect to see on track. And it's become something that's been there across the board with uh, the coverage of this part of the sport. And I think, you know, my friends and colleagues in the press room, some of them have uh, done the, 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 the heavy lifting and gone and educated themselves uh, about the, the real world difference in uh, performance that these, these measures make. But some of them, I'm afraid, are just a little bit too addicted to the clicks. Let's move on a bit. Addicted um, to the clicks. Addicted the to the clicks. Graham Goodwin story, um, boys and girls. No couple, couple just to, to skip through. Jordan Hotwood has uh, asked a question about um, United Autosport joining GT4. was supposed to be a stepping stone for re-entering GT3. Has there been any updates? No, there haven't. I think we'll be hearing some more from United Autosports probably in the new year about what their programs are going to be moving forward. Stephen Gates asks, will high-class racing be running the Brabham BT63? This is the GT2 concept that they ran at the end of last season um, in 22. What are the chances of seeing more than one on the grid? I think there is a program for that Brabham into 22, and we hope beyond. I do think we're going to see that car homologated for uh, GT2. Um, my guess would be High Class wouldn't be a, would, the worst place to actually be uh, sniffing around. They won the championship uh, last year with their Audi and ran that car as a second car. Um, here's one. Well, it's up to you. We've seen this one before. We've never got to it. Um, We're going to solve Otto that Kinsel, problem right now. There you go. Otto Kinsel the fourth. Hello, gentlemen. I've always heard about what a bad guy Andy Evans was slash is. was recently listening to the Dinner with Racers episode with Butch Leitzinger. He had nothing good to say about Mr. Evans. Can either of you elaborate on what made Andy Evans, it says here, such a rotten sportsman? I've no idea. Never met him. Won't go too deep into this, um, uh, just like by Collis uh, or Colin Collis. Uh, I don't want folks to uh, start digging a ditch for me here. Um, 
<laughs> Andy Evans was uh, a corporate raider. And I think that mindset might have carried over too heavily into his sports car racing activities, uh, efforts, and then successful efforts to acquire um, motor uh, sports car racing series. Keep in mind that in the mid to late 90s, as IMSA was falling apart, uh, you had a n- couple of different major sports car series, uh, endurance series competing here in the U.S., kind of akin to when we had, say, the split in IndyCar with uh, with competing, dueling factions. Um, Andy was a, a person who would find a... Uh, a company that was on hard times or could be acquired for a a very small sum of money and uh, gut it, do whatever was needed to turn it around and sell it. Or if he thought it was, it had fallen on hard times and had potential and could be developed, uh, would do just that, try and resuscitate it. But basically the guy and I'm jealous because he's a quadrillionaire and able to do this, and I wouldn't and wasn't, but he made his living going after companies and flipping them and or trying to build them up. So if you looked at the sponsors on his cars, in uh, if you looked at the sponsors on his cars, quite often it was representing some sort of major thing that he bought and was trying to uh, trying to then sell. And so I think his approach of things being very black and white, very business-like, stripped down, all about winning, all about extracting maximum potential uh, in a very cold way, I think in a very general uh, manner, Otto, that was the Andy Evans that folks saw in sport. And so here... It's, it's a romantic view. You can be the world's most high-powered lawyer or zillionaire and you crush people's lives every day in court. You love motor racing. In theory, I'm not saying that persona is going to magically disappear once you don a motor racing helmet and whatnot, but the, the romantic approach that you see most times is and he or she then uh, embraces maybe a warmer more more friendly, uh, passionate uh, side of themselves when they go motor racing. I think the the knock on Andy Evans was, oh, yeah, that ain't happening. (laughs) The corporate raider guy, the squeeze every ounce of blood out of everything for, for profit, gain, and victory. Yeah. Well, you'll see that in Formula One. You'll see that in, again, a couple of series where it's very, it's more on the individual. In sports car, uh, which is team-based, multiple drivers. Again, it, it's the proverbial band of brothers and sisters. I think that there was just a mindset here, Otto, that conflicted. And so from the folks who worked for him, much like Scott Tucker, you'll hear lots of positive things because he threw tons of money at things. And if you are a mechanic, an engineer, a whatever, what's the one thing in motor racing you love most? 
folks who spend ungodly amounts of money on their program. So the folks who facilitated by and large, not a lot of negative things to say because a Andy Evans type made their dreams come true. As I've been told, maybe when we get into the areas where Andy would be competitive towards someone, uh, whether it's a rival driver, team owner, Oregon trying to acquire a series and then go against the uh, opposing series, maybe you didn't always see the nicest person in the world. So it's just a bit of a general look here. Um, when I spoke with Andy about a year ago for a story, very interesting. Uh, he provided some insights for sure. He also was quadruple guarded on everything. And so he is someone who has not, uh, after being a big name, not too long of a period, but after being a really big name uh, in motor racing, branching out into IndyCar and a few other places as well, um, he has really just gone back into the uh, the shadows, at least in terms of racing. But as I understand it, um, he and I think his son are still doing the big corporate buys and flips and uh, I would assume making giant profits. Yeah, well, it's been a growth business, hasn't it, over the last 30 or 40 years. Um, I think we're beginning to wind this down. I've got one here, Jordan Hotwood. Jordan, send that one back in about McLaren's GT programs for next week. There is a there is a, a fairly complex answer to that one, but uh, we're happy to deal with that next uh, next time. Suggest so we just uh, we finish off here, MP, perhaps with each of us grabbing one or two from the fun section. Well, seeing as how I th- we do have some options, uh, let's see. I'll skip the Magnus. Uh, Lance Snyder, thanks for sending in the Magnus one again. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go with our pal. Yeah, I know we got one or two here. On the, oh, we'll just go with uh, Hrishi Despond. So there's been a little bit of a debate raging on the uh, Twitters, Graham, about which uh, restaurant-sponsored prototype from the <laughs> 1990s, uh, classic IMSA racers, as Hrishi mentioned, uh, would be our favorite, and which one would we endorse uh, as being on one of uh, next year's uh, The Week in Sports Cars podcast uh, cartoon okay. logos. Uh, we have the Applebee's-sponsored uh spice um right. i believe never been to an apple piece yeah well and that's why you are in fairly good health um <laughs> there's the olive garden sponsored ferrari 333 sp they also sponsored uh, a uh, marinello they did the uh, 550. 550 uh beautiful beautiful livery um that, was that by the way that part that that car by the way later became the cooper's ales car that won in Bahrain it was the Alan Simonson uh David Brabham car that won the very first GT race in 2004 in uh in Bahrain and that wow. car now lives in Zhuhai in China wow well that's a great factoid in the <laughs> third answer earlier in the 80s um and I believe title winning as well uh the amazing red lobster March, uh, I believe that car had both Chevy power and then uh, Andile Porsche 
uh, flat oh, six same turbo time. power. Wow. Yes, that's how good it was. Um, so wanted to know which one we prefer. Hrishi's been kind enough to provide some photographic samples. I want to hear your answer first before I offer mine. Because well, mine... So, is this, so is this the livery or the restaurant? Well, uh, all three fairly tragic. Like, <laughs> like As a livery, as a livery, look. If you of... had swallowed poison and you called the Center for Disease Control and they said, go put some, uh, go put two slices of bread in the toaster, turn it all the way up to blacken it, and you need to eat that, and the, the kind of charcoal effect will actually induce vomiting, and you would tell the yeah. person on the phone from the Center for Disease Control, I don't have any sliced bread, nor do I have a toaster. I've got 15 minutes to live. I don't really know why I just swallowed poison, but hey, it was a Saturday night and I was a little bit bored. Uh, what do I do? Well, that person from the Center for Disease Control, and I don't know why I'm saying disease because this is more poison. So maybe it's just straight up 911 uh, would ask, what is close? Do you have within a 14 minute drive or radius since you got 15 minutes to live? Do you have either a red lobster, Olive Garden, or Applebee's within your vicinity? You would hope that you would be able to say yes, because that person from the 911 emergency line would direct you to drive to one of those three restaurants, run inside, run behind the service counter into the kitchen, grab whatever had just been plated, use both, forget utensils, both hands, start shoveling whatever food they'd made, Red Lobster, Olive Garden, or Applebee's, down your throat, you would vomit everything up immediately. The poison would be purged from your system. Little known fact here in America, Red Lobster, Olive Garden, Applebee's, that's the uh, the number two plan for uh, saving a life if you need to vomit and get the, the, the thing that's going to kill you out of your stomach. And by the way, we should uh, apologize for the linkage between those three uh, outlets and number two that you just mentioned there. Um, as allegedly, a livery, allegedly. Uh, as, as a livery, but look, the Olive Garden livery, classic. But in terms of pure, unadulterated fun, the Red Lobster is just amazing. Well, I agree there. And I would say that uh, Hrishi and John Wojnar and Ryan Terpstra and all the others who took part in the heated debate over which was the best. Uh, I can tell you that before, it was only a couple days before, but, you know, this is why we uh, not only love our listeners and don't ever do the blah, blah, blah part again. Bad on you. Bad, Graham. Bad. Um, I had already sent in a request to our pal, the amazing, the artiste himself, Roger Warwick, to do a new for 2022 Ooh. Red Lobster. Oh, really? Uh, oh, it's so, coming. Yeah, it's so that, coming. That's all was already in the works before the debate raged on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and we've got some other fun ones coming through as well that Graham has asked for. So uh, I don't know if they're all going to be stickers. Um, yeah, uh, I have a lot of stickers left from this past I, season that I, I'm probably going to just uh, put on sale and say, please, folks, buy them. If you've got holes in things, these will cover them up. Um, if you if they're just folks you don't like, just stick it on them. Uh, if there's cars, then you just want to you know maybe improve the livery. 
do an entire car in the weekend sports car stickers. So anyway, can we give another plug here, by the way, for the uh, GoFundMe page? We can. Not only can we, because it's our show, Graham, we can do whatever we want. Um, let me take a look here. Uh, go fund me. Uh, supporting Roger and Whitney Warwick's medical needs is up to, hey, that makes me happy. We're now just past the halfway point. So 304 Excellent. people have donated. Thank you, truly, because I know some of you have been uh, among those 304 uh, the goal uh, for Roger and his wife, who uh, are on really the financial brink as a result of her inability to work for the past little while due to a serious medical well, issue, look, if, uh, they're yeah. up to twenty six thousand thirty one dollars of the fifty thousand. They really do need to make sure they don't have to uh, sell their house and most yeah. of their belongings. So thank well, you. That's, that's that absolutely indeed. Thank you to everybody's donated. So look, if you've been listening to the weekend sports cars, you enjoyed our little Sean through the Peugeot story earlier. And if you are a Peugeot fan, 305, 306, 307, 308, and 309 are still all available there in a Peugeot-esque fashion. And let's push this one on and put smiles on faces this side of the holiday season uh, on people that damn well deserve it. Um, There you go. Right, let's move forward. Take us Um, home. There will take us home. Uh, let's have a quick look. We can have one more question here. It's not a racing question. It comes from Stephen Ellis. He says, if you guys could cover a non-racing event, what would it be? I'll, I'll go dive in Do that. with this one uh, very quickly. Um, simply because in, I've been very lucky in my professional life to be involved with some astonishing events uh, including the motorsport, obviously, uh, in, in the latter days of my career, cycling with a couple of stages of the Tour de France in the, the UK and as part of the team that brought that to the UK and to London. Um, but but early doors for me, the Olympic Games, and um, both you know, in terms of being part of a bid process and in part of the organising team that, uh, that hosted the Games in London in 2012. And professionally... I think I'd quite like to do some of that uh, simply because when it's done properly and when you move aside from the inevitability of influential people taking what they want from that, the spirit of the competitors involved in it is matchless in sporting terms. True Olympians are an awesome thing to uh, to watch and to experience and to interact with. Amazing, amazing, amazing. The meaning of sports. So an Olympic Games, and it's not very funny, but I, I'd love to be a part of something there on the reporting, presenting side, if that opportunity ever came about. So aside from racing, I do love sport. I think sport is a force for good. And I think we could do with a bit of that in this crazy world we're in at the moment, MP. Well, although we haven't made mention of it in, I don't know, maybe a year, and it, it once played almost a weekly role in the weekend sports cars, thanks to Ooh. our listener, Jacob Bame, the twistionary of Ooh. all the malapropisms, all the, <laughs> all the word talking that I did not good do and, and making up word, <laughs> word bads and just fumbling all kinds of things i would say the natural response from me would be to cover the national spelling bee 
uh, because that could be a lot of fun because I might be raising my hand as a reporter calling fouls because I really, truly don't understand uh, some of the words that these 11-year-old children are, are acing perfectly. Uh, so I'd say that would be the logical one for me. But from a uh, practical practical standpoint, the thing I've wanted to do, think I could do, maybe, I don't know if I've got the connections to do it yet, it wouldn't be traditional reportage. It would be photographage. Mm-hmm. Uh, since my love with photography for the majority of the time that I've been doing it, which I think now is 35 years, has been reducing the shutter speed and letting the speed of the vehicle and everything that you are seeing with your own eyes, but trying to convey that through low shutter speed and just bringing movement to the, the forefront by no means the first person to do it in racing photography. Good Lord, they're masters. I've been doing it long before I was ever even born. But I've always wanted Graham to go and try and apply that general approach to a National Football League game here uh, or basketball. Don't know so much about baseball. Baseball was once my favorite thing as a kid, but not so much something that interests me a lot. But NBA, NFL, knowing that The movements are big, whether it's folks running, whether it's a ball being thrown 30, 40, 50 feet in the air, uh, whether it's dunking, slashing through the paint to get to the hoop, whatever. Just, hey, uh, when we see photos from this, and I'm guessing you probably say see it in every major sport, um, a lot of frozen imagery, a lot of things at a, a one millionth per second shutter speed where it looks like, again, just life has come to a stop and that can be amazing depending on the shot but i've always wondered why photographers in uh, major sports we could call it the major stick and ball sports know that if they look at their cameras there are shutter speed settings (laughs) that don't have 50 zeros behind it like you could get down to like one-fifth of a second, not one-five-hundredth or one-five-thousandth, but like, hey, what's happening there? So that's been my goal. Um, Hopefully I'll get to do that Uh, somehow just for myself. The only thing that's a little challenge is to be credentialed, as folks find out from motor races. They say, hi, cool, who's your outlet? Um, When you respond, just me, for fun, they tend to say, uh, let us point you towards the uh, the box office to buy a ticket and go sit Indeed. with the rest of the fans, you morons. So not sure how I'm going to figure this one out, but I hope to. And uh, there you go. That's my answer. Well, Sticking to it. Well, if you are uh, a billionaire residing in America and uh, you own one of the, the uh, major uh, league teams that Marshall's been describing there, make make a man happy this Christmas. Give him a call. Give him a credential. And he'll produce some... Uh, some sporting art for you. I'm absolutely certain of it. Well, that brings us to a halt for this week. This is a uh, decent, again. decent length of an episode, Graham. We haven't done How one long? of these in a little while. How long is this one? 
I don't know, maybe hour and a half, just a little over wow. hour and a half. Normally, yeah, we used to do two hours plus, like like clockwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's 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 call this a Christmas present to our listeners. Let's oh, do that. Let's, let's not make saying, assumptions there. This is a dumpster <laughs> fire in audio form. Let, let, well, let's say thanks again to the listeners, particularly those that uh, send in the questions. If we didn't get to it this week, uh, there's one or two there. Um, pop in again. We'll have another look. Uh, with it, we, we, you know, we, we're at manageable levels of, of questions right now. Thank you for your continued support in what is still an increasingly popular podcast, uh, drawing big numbers to the sports every week and making a reputation for just what you bring to it as well with intelligent questioning and we hope uh, not too unintelligent answers. Thanks to um, to Daniel Summerskill again for drawing those questions together. But most of all, of course, thanks to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers to torontomotorsports.com most of all thanks to you mp uh, for again giving your time and your insight into uh, untangling what is a very tangled web uh, for sports car racing both sides of the pond at the moment i've been Graham goodwin he has been marshall pruitt this is the weekend sports cars part of the marshall pruitt podcast network we will see you next week now should i have been recording this 